Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week in Biden's America. Pray for us. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media if you're not already. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore and on Twitter and Truth Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also, via email, I am at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. And if you send me a note, I might read yours on the air. I see them all, I read them all, but I can't see yours unless you send me one. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, we've got a big week of shows coming up here on the Monica Crowley Podcast. Uh, later in the week, we are going to talk to the one and only James O'Keefe. I saw him over the weekend. I'm going to talk to you about where I was and what I was doing in a second here, but I saw James over the weekend, and he is just one of my heroes. He's actually a national treasure. He should be a hero to all of us, citizen journalist to the nth degree. And in fact, recently, Elon Musk has been tweeting about how he wants Twitter to be a forum for citizen journalists, rather than just the blue checkmark elite journalists that have inflicted so many lies, hypocrisy, and damage on our country, uh, all in service of a political agenda. Elon Musk has said he fancies Twitter to be a forum for citizen journalists, People like you and me, but primarily people who do this for a living as a citizen journalist like James O'Keefe. So James is going to be here on Wednesday. I can't wait for that. We've got so much more coming up on the show later in the week as well. Um, all right. Today, I have some additional big thoughts about last week's elections. I'm going to continue to have big thoughts because they keep occurring to me. And as we get more data and more evidence about what has actually gone down here and what continues to go down in places like Arizona, 
we're going to pull all of this together. This isn't just like a one show deal. This is, this is something much bigger that's going on in this country. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about it because the country hangs by a thread, right? Um, also today, I want to talk about the Mick leadership on our side um, that is either incompetent or on the other side, working for the Democrats on the left, or maybe both. I don't know, but we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Also, a warning from history uh, that I want to get into right at the top here as well. Also today, we're going to talk to my dear friend, Doug Schoen, who is one of the last remaining moderate Democrats left in the Democratic Party, maybe even in the country, um, but he's also a political analyst extraordinaire, and he's going to give us his read. He is the, one of the most honest people in politics and in punditry and commentary. He's just, he's brilliant. He's intellectually honest. And he's going to tell us exactly what is happening, not just in his party, but in the country. So you are not going to want to miss that at all. Plus your emails all ahead. But first, the Monica memo. I want to start with what I mentioned, which is a warning from history. Let's begin with a flashback to the 1960 presidential election. That election was Richard Nixon, who was the sitting vice president under Dwight Eisenhower, versus JFK, who Kennedy was a a sitting U.S. senator from the Kennedy dynasty, obviously. So it was quite a match, Nixon versus Kennedy. Well, JFK was sort of an unproven young uh, a political player. And yes, he was coming out of this Kennedy dynasty in Massachusetts, but he had only served in the Senate a couple of years, and that was also a, a seat that the old man Kennedy bought for him. Keep in mind, when you talk about you know all of these dynasties, you have all of these familial psychological things going on, whether it's the Bushes or the Kennedys or whatever. You've got the sibling rivalry and everything else. So JFK had an older brother named Joseph, Joe Kennedy, who was smart and handsome and charismatic and dynamic, and he was the one who was supposed to be president. Not unlike the Bush dynasty, where Jeb was the one who was supposed to be president, and along comes George W. Well, in the Kennedy case, it was Joe who was supposed to be, you know, he was the golden child of the family, and he was the one who was supposed to be president. So he goes to serve his country in World War II, and he gets killed, killed in action. So the oldest brother is out of the equation. That, of course, creates all new psychological chaos in the Kennedy family. And then now it's Jack, and it's Bobby, and then there's Ted, the runt of the litter. So the the whole dynamic, we should talk about that someday. I'm getting a little off course here, but I find the entire Kennedy psychodrama fascinating. Anyway, 1960 comes, JFK gets bumped up in the family to run for president, and he is unproven. He's young and unproven. So the old man Kennedy, who bought him that Senate seat, decides he's going to have to do it again at the presidential level to get his kid over the finish line. He looks at three major areas in the country, Illinois, West Virginia, and Texas. So Illinois at the time was still like a swing state. It wasn't deep blue as it is today. West Virginia 
which is now totally red, but at the time it was sort of bluish purple swing state, and Texas, which was sort of the same. So Kennedy chooses Lyndon Johnson out of Texas to be his vice president. Now they've got a point person in Texas to help them orchestrate the election fraud that they need. On election night, 1960, Richard Nixon was, he was in a hotel, they were watching the returns come in, and he was presented with concrete evidence of election fraud. They literally handed him the evidence of the election fraud happening in those three states, Illinois, West Virginia, and Texas. This was proof that the Kennedys and the Democrats were stealing the election there that they were actively involved in rigging voting machines. Remember the old metal voting machines? They rigged those machines in those three locations to steal the election for Kennedy. Nixon was handed literally like reams of evidence of what was going down in those locations. And Nixon was encouraged to not concede to challenge the results of this election, to halt the certification of the election. But Nixon refused. He said, no, we are in an existential cold war with the Soviet Union, and the country needs a full-time president. How do you like that, huh? So Nixon graciously conceded when he had significant grounds not to but he selflessly put the country first. Of course, Nixon never gets any credit for that or for any of the other tremendous good that he did for this country. Does that sound familiar? We just had another president, exact same thing. Donald Trump will never get any credit for any of the good that he did, right? The point is, the election used to be on one day. And even then, the Democrats were cheating, Imagine what they're doing now when we have an election season rather than an election day. Actually, we don't have to imagine it because we know what they're doing. Voting for a month, voting for six weeks, can't count the votes for weeks. Come on, we know what's up. Why are we putting up with this? Why are we putting up with this? They work for us. Guys, we have completely lost sight of the fact that all of these people work for us. They're on the taxpayer dime. I don't care if you're talking about Democratic uh, leaders. I don't care if you're talking about election officials in these jurisdictions. I don't care if you're talking about, you know, the, the county recorder or the election supervisor. I don't care who you're talking about on the left. They all work for us. If they're being paid by the taxpayer, they work for us. And so we are literally paying them to screw us? That's what's going on here, right? This is no way to run a country. We are now six days out from the election, and we still don't have results in all kinds of places across the country, including Arizona. I mean, everybody is rushing to point fingers over here and there, and we're going to get into that in the next segment. But there are still outstanding results, and we don't know who's going to control the House. 
It looks, uh, as I'm doing this show right now, it looks like the Republicans will have the tiniest of margins to control the House. But keep in mind, people die. I hate to be blunt about this, but when you're talking about Congress, you've got 535 people in there, 435 in the House, 100 in the Senate. And we've had people die just in the last year. I think we had three Republicans die, car crash, uh, stroke, and whatever. A lot of these people are older. A lot of them have been vaccinated and now have all kinds of problems. I don't know. But let's say we have a two or three seat majority in the House and everybody's like, yay, thank goodness we survived that. At least we've got the House. And two or three people die for whatever reason on the Republican side. Well, now Democrats have control. So do you see how tenuous this entire situation is, right? This is no way to run a country. And all of this needs to be fixed you know, the, the democracy of which the Democrats speak and they're screeching about all the time and they're so desperate to protect is a system where voters have to wait a week or more to find out who won their election because you've got these mysterious batches of mail-in ballots that need to be counted. Remember I talked to you last week about the difference between a vote and a ballot? Exactly. A vote is something you physically fill out, bring it to your polling place or fill it out at the polling place, feed it through the machine, put it in the box, however you do it. That is a vote. A ballot is in a giant shrink-wrapped package that is then either illegally filled out and just shoved into the system or harvested. Nursing homes, people who are out of it, hospitals, people who are unconscious, they're filled out, they're signed on their behalf, and they're pushed into the system. There's a difference, again, between votes and ballots, okay? Live it, learn it, love it, because we're going to have to adopt this. There is, and and I want to take this apart here in, in the next segment because it's so important. There is no wonder that so many of us have no faith in our election system. If you don't have confidence in your elections or your justice system, you have no country. Precisely. This is exactly the objective of the Democrats, guys. Exactly. Tear apart the confidence in the justice system by making it deeply corrupt and in the election system by also making it deeply corrupt. If you have no country, they're in the vacuum taking it over. This is insane. No other country operates like this. Even in Brazil where they just had this, this massive election and the protests are still ongoing. Brazil is a country known for corruption. But even there, we knew who won between Lula and Bolsonaro within a day. And maybe that was a corrupt election. I don't know, but at least they had some result, right? The number one priority for Republicans needs to be fixing our election system so that in every state we know who won the election that night. We can't secure the border if the politicians who want to secure the border lose after a week of mail-in ballots are being found and counted. Nobody has any idea where these ballots came from. They admit that. The Arizona uh, uh, chief of elections, he's like the other day, four days ago, he's like, yeah, we got a bunch of ballots here. We don't know where they came from. This is beyond sketchy. It's beyond corrupt, and we all know why. 
All right, when we come back, I want to deconstruct exactly where we are in this, what is going on, and how to fix it. And we're going to need new leadership to do it. The Mick leadership needs to bounce. More coming straight up. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, back on the election. What exactly is the post-election vote? Can anybody tell me that? What is a post-election vote? The New York Times chief political analyst, Nate Cohn, tweeted this over the weekend, quote, The thing that keeps Democratic hopes alive is that they are gaining in the post-election vote in most districts. At the moment, just not by enough. The post-election vote. So Republicans will never succeed in elections as long as the post-election vote is a thing. We've now lost the Nevada and Arizona Senate races after days of counting mail-in ballots. Ballots, not votes. All this Republican infighting, pointing fingers, etc., it won't mean anything if we don't change the way elections are run. Candidate quality doesn't matter when unions can just run wild, collect mail-in ballots, and ensure that their preferred candidate wins. In Nevada, and I I heard this from a very good source over the weekend, very close uh, GOP source in Nevada. In Nevada, on this election cycle, early voting stopped on the Friday before the election. Now you might say, oh, okay, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and top line, that sounds good. But wait, they released the numbers. I think Friday night or early Saturday morning, they released the numbers of the early voting so far. And it showed that the Republican candidate for Senate there, Adam Laxalt, he was ahead. Yay. Oh, wait. What did the Democrats do? 
they got the culinary union in the state of Nevada totally mobilized. They mobilized its thousands of members and got an additional 7,200 votes going over the weekend. I think Laxalt lost by about 4,000. Do you see what we're talking about here? The Democrats did other things like this too, but the critical point here is that they mobilized their troops. Not only do we not mobilize our troops, we have no troops. This is why we don't do this stuff, because we don't have the ground game. Guys, when early voting became the norm, and this happened a while ago, early voting became the norm. Oh, they sold it as convenience. I want to get to that in a second too. But when early voting became the norm, the Republicans didn't really change anything. They didn't adapt And then when COVID became an excuse to upend everything about our elections, again, the Republicans did very little to adapt to that, right? Republicans are always behind the eight ball. They're always 10 steps behind, whereas the Democrats always have this great sense of innovation and creativity on how to rig elections and how to rig them legally. Republicans need to shift their get-out-the-vote mentality from 72 hours leading into election day to 72 days. That's the field on which the Democrats are playing, okay? Democrats won on 25% fewer voters in the booths. Let me restate that. Democrats won on 25% fewer voters on election day in the booths casting votes. Why? Because they had the ballots. 17 states changed the way they vote because of COVID. Universal mail-ins, absentee floods, uh, curing ballots, ballot harvesting, uh, all kinds of crazy deadlines and things. 17 states did that. Only nine states rolled them back. Democrats adapted, but the Republicans did not. So they leveraged the pandemic. Some might say they created the pandemic, but that's a conversation for a different day. They leveraged the pandemic to change the rules, to condition people to accept those new rules as convenience. Oh, it's convenient to vote early. Oh, it's convenient to vote by mail. You know, you sit on your couch and watch Netflix. That's convenient. You don't have to go down to the movie theater anymore. You can just watch it on your TV. We are a society of convenience now, right? And a lot of times that's very good. But the Democrats knew that because, again, innovation, creativity, manipulation, they conditioned people to accept early voting, mail-in voting, uh, drop boxes, all of this stuff as convenience, and then get it locked in. This is how they rig elections. They're doing it legally. I mentioned 1960. That was grossly illegal. But what they're doing now here is legal. So now, uh, you know, they've been uh, perfecting this for a long time, but now they've maneuvered it into the legal territory. So they've been rigging and gaming the system for a long time, and now they brought it into the 21st century. And again, I ask, why are we putting up with this? We don't have to. (sighs) Mass mail-in voting drop boxes, ballot harvesting, and curing early voting. So again, 
we've got this election season, not election day. The Democrats now have a four to six week running start. So by late debates, like with Fetterman, which was like five minutes before the election, by late debates and certainly by election day, when we all vote, it's almost irrelevant because they have already banked hundreds of thousands of votes. In the Fetterman case, Fetterman had like 600,000 votes already banked before his debate. So, of course, the drooling invalid got elected. So, our side needs to completely change our get-out-the-vote operations. You got to, I mean, you, you just have to operate in reality. That has to start around Labor Day, rather than focus on getting people to the polls just on Election Day. The left's big hero, Saul Alinsky, one of his pieces of advice to the radical leftists overthrowing the world was, don't function in the world as you wish it to be, but function in the world as it is, and then work to change it. It is absolutely inconceivable that we have not gotten a handle on this in two years. Actually, this has been going on a a longer period of time. You know, they were doing mail-in balloting and drop boxes and things. The Democrats were beginning to maneuver that in 2018, maybe even sooner. But the earliest I saw was 2018. Guys, focus. Was the pandemic all an accident? Oh, lab accident in China. Or was it geared for something else? Or maybe all of the above. That pandemic solved a lot of problems for the left and for the the, uh, Schwabies out of the World Economic Forum to remake the world, right? I don't know. A, A lot of questions still need to be answered on the entire pandemic. But they were doing this back in 2018 with the super early voting, the mail-in balloting, the the drop boxes, and so on, right? So we've had like a two-year running start on this. Um, Actually, four years, we should have been attuned to what the left was doing. All of these arguments, guys, blaming Trump, it's all Trump's fault, or candidate quality, oh, Oz sucked, or whatever that they want to say, these are all canards, They're all a smokescreen for the Republicans just getting decimated on ballot harvesting and the the basic mechanics of electioneering, okay? And every year we wring our hands like, oh, I can't believe it's happened again. Right. The one thing that's the actual job of the party establishment is the one thing it has refused to do. We're not talking about dumb people here in the Mick leadership. By Mick leadership, I mean Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, and Rana McDaniel, the head of the RNC. This is the Mick leadership. These are not stupid people, okay? They're very intelligent people. That's why you have to say that with all of the evidence of what the left and the Democrats have been doing for years, the fact that they have not lifted a finger to change anything is because they want it this way. They like being in the minority. It's a minority that they can control. Donald Trump and the America First movement can't control it. Gotta kill it. By the way, have you noticed so many America First candidates have gone down with these, with these um, long extended vote periods, uh, counting periods? Yeah, 
Because the whole uh, engineering thing here is to defeat the America First candidates, to defeat the America First movement. We all focus on Trump, and yes, he is very important as the leader of that movement, but we've had so many America First candidates who are going down with this delayed counting. Why? Because they're all in on this, not just the left and the Democrats, but the propaganda press and the uni party. The people on our side who are part of the uni party who want to crush that movement, they are dying for things to go back to the way they were pre-Trump, pre-America first. And so they're moving heaven and earth in order to defeat these candidates. That's what's going on. They have deliberately refused to make the changes necessary in order to get a handle on it. This is unconscionable, and that's why all of these people need to go. There is going to be, unless it gets delayed after I, um, after I do this show, but there's going to be leadership elections tomorrow in the Congress when you don't even have the House settled yet, and you've got one outstanding Senate race, a runoff on December 6th between uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock. Doesn't Herschel Walker get a voice? Or does this make leadership, are they racist? Do they want to exclude Herschel on purpose? Is McConnell a racist? I don't know. I'm playing according to the left's rules now. Why are they excluding Herschel? It is completely fixed. This whole game is fixed. We need to bounce all of these people. Because they have refused to fix the problems because they don't want to. And they've been sabotaging the America First candidates. Basically because they want to just be the controlled opposition in Congress. Easily uh, controlled and controllable. But you know what? We're not going to allow these people to fail up. We're sick of this. You know, we pay for them. We vote and vote and nothing changes. This is why. Them. This is why. You know what else is unconscionable? Listen to the depth of this corruption. You know how all of this drama is going on in Arizona? Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, all of this. Well, the post-millennial had a great story this morning. Here it is. It's been revealed that embattled Arizona's Maricopa County recorder, Stephen Richer, and Supervisor Chairman Bill Gates, not that Bill Gates, different Bill Gates, but the fact his name is Bill Gates is crazy, in 2021 started a political action committee, a PAC, to stop MAGA candidates. These are the two clowns in charge of Maricopa County's vote counting right now. They started a PAC just last year to stop America First candidates. This is exactly what I've been saying. The story goes on. On November 17th, 2021, just about a year ago, Meg Cunningham from the Kansas City Beacon tweeted that Stephen Richer, quote, the Maricopa County recorder is launching a pact to support Republicans running for non-federal Arizona offices who acknowledge the validity of the 2020 election and condemn the events of January 6, 2021 as a terrible result of the lies told about the November election. Richer then retweeted her, saying, quote, thanks to a few generous donors. Oh, I wonder who those are. George Soros, who else? Oh, that's an interesting question. Again, thanks to a few generous donors, this is now launching. 
Join me if you care about traditional Republican stuff, free people, free markets, rule of law, but also don't believe in conspiracies about the 2020 election or that January 6th was a tourist event. The PAC called Pro-Democracy Republicans of Arizona claims on their website that they are, quote, fighting to keep our democratic institutions alive. And then it goes on to say, let's see, uh, we Republicans simply had a presidential candidate who lost, while we had many other candidates who won. Uh, candidates come and go, but our democratic institutions are long-lasting, and peaceful transitions of power are a hallmark of the United States. We should not abandon this history in favor of conspiracy theorists and demagoguery. To that end, we are launching this pact to support pro-democracy Arizona Republicans. So... The guy in charge of counting the votes for Carrie Lake thinks Carrie Lake should not be governor. How do you like that? Dying to know who these donors are for that. But again, I say, why are we putting up with this? These people work for us. We pay their salaries. So we are literally paying them to screw us over. So that makes us dumb. Unless we put pressure on our elected individuals, the people who lead the party, no more Mick leadership, um, We are the ones with the power in our hands to make these changes. Ballot harvesting, drop boxes, early voting, it's all here to stay as we move forward toward systems of on-demand voting. Generation Z, TikTok, that whole like youth crowd, using all of this stuff to great effect. And the final stage of all of this is going to be digital voting. You're going to be able to vote on your phone, vote on your laptop, your iPad, And then there's really no security because then you're just going to have to trust what the machines are telling you and what the people like Stephen Richer and uh, Bill Gates in in Arizona are telling you. Oh, here's here's the readout from the machines. No more paper ballots that can be traced. Come on, this is where we're heading now unless we stand up and figure out how to play the game. Again, as Alinsky said, play in the world as you found it, not in the world as you wish it to be and then change it. So while these rules are in place with the mass uh, mail-in voting and the early voting and the drop boxes and everything else, we are the ones who are going to have to learn to play that game and fast. We are the ones who are going to have to master this like ASAP. Democrats on the left have been mastering it now for years. Well, we've got a short window because we waited so long because our leadership doesn't want to solve the problem. Number one, by bouncing them from the leadership, and number two, by taking control ourselves and fixing these problems and playing the game according to the rules as the left has established them. Because if we don't, we're never going to win another election again, period. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk to my dear friend Doug Schoen about the Democratic Party and where it is. Where it is, have they learned anything? Obviously not. Their revolution continues. But Doug has some very, very interesting words of wisdom. So he will be joining us next. In the meantime, an awesome gift for the men in your life that they're going to love and actually use. It is possible. Give them a gift from Man Crates. Man Crates has hundreds of totally unique gift options available at mancrates.com. Plus, now through November 21st, my listeners will get an exclusive 15% off when you use the code RADIO15 
at mancrates.com. That's code RADIO15 to get 15% off at mancrates.com. Mancrates packs his gift in unique containers, so watching him open his gift is also an unforgettable experience. Personalization is free, and every Mancrates gift comes with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. He'll think it's awesome, or Mancrates will make it right. Remember, use promo code RADIO15 at the checkout to get 15% off your order at Mancrates.com. That's Mancrates.com, promo code RADIO15. We'll be right back. Well, to further break down uh, last week's midterm election results, I am so happy to welcome my dear friend, political pollster and strategist extraordinaire, and one of the last remaining moderate Democrats, which makes him the ideal guest for today, Doug Schoen. Hi, Doug. Monica, thank you for that lovely introduction. And I worry that my category of Democrat moderates are increasingly becoming extinct. (laughs) You've been a dinosaur now for quite a while. And I say that with all love and affection for our friendship, Doug. But yeah, I mean, the the moderate Democrats are really, they've been going extinct, I think, since the end of the Clinton administration. And now very few and far between, right? Uh, Absolutely. We're an endangered species. You certainly are. By the way, before we get into a breakdown of the midterm results, what is your last book? What is the last project that everybody should go check out? Uh, It's called Unite or Die. It's a book about American democracy and what we are saying play out in real time today. Unite or die. I mean, what a title and absolutely right on the nose. Um, All right. Last week, Doug, what a week. And it was a very weird election. And we on Friday, we were breaking down some of these numbers. And it shows that Republicans actually won the national popular vote. Now, there was no national election, no president at the top of the ticket. But the Republicans actually won the popular vote when you take a look at the overall vote count by five or six points, which is what some of the polling showed right on the generic ballot. It showed Republicans leading by five or six, which is exactly what it came out to be. And yet it's so tight when you look at both chambers of uh, Congress. So what is your reaction to the results as we have them so far? Yeah, I, I think in the past, Monica, the last two elections, there had been, I'm thinking of 2016, 2020, a sense that the Republican vote was undercounted by the pollsters and the pre-election analysts. That being said, I think there was an overcompensation this time. So there were projections of 52 to 54 Senate seats and 30 to 35 or more House seats. I think those didn't come true because simply the Republican vote was a core Republican vote, not an enhanced Republican vote, partisanship being very hardened, people not voting against Biden, given low approval and given a sense the country uh, is heading in the wrong direction. I also believe that there were Republican wins, as we saw in 2020, particularly at the House, 14 seats, and there weren't as many seats up for grabs as perhaps some of the pre-election prognosticators believed. You know, what's also interesting, Doug, and those are all really good points. 
you, you look at the state of Florida, which is now a deep red state. Remember back in the day when it was considered a swing state? In the 2000 election, it was Florida, Florida, Florida with Tim Russert and everybody freaking out about Bush versus Gore. And it all came down to 537 votes in Palm Beach County. I mean, it was like crazy. And everybody was crisscrossing Florida. Well, Florida now is out of the game for Democrats. Ohio used to be a tipping point state um, nationally. And that is now in the Republican column as well. But then you look at deep blue states like New York, where Lee Zeldin ran a very strong race for governor and helped to flip, what is it, four or five congressional seats in New York from Democrat to Republican. What's going on out there? Well, I think in certain states, particularly Florida, New York too, the Republican argument was stronger and well-prosecuted. And where that was the case, there were Republican pickups. I think the Republicans also relied a little bit too much on just negative arguments against the Democrats without asserting a positive case of their own. And in the absence of that, I think Republican gains were somewhat less than many anticipated. Interesting. Do you think states like because it, it could very well be that states like New York and California, heavily Democrats still, but with these uh, House seats flipping from blue to red in those states, delivering possibly um, Republican advantage in the House, do you see some of these deep blue states shifting a bit? I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to call them purple yet, but when you look at a map of, say, New York, and I was talking about this last week on the show, New York State is almost entirely red now, except for a couple of pockets, and they're big pockets, like New York City, Buffalo, the Syracuse area, Um, but now Long Island, big parts of Westchester, certainly all of upstate is a sea of red. Is it polarization, or is there a real sea change, a real realignment going on in these places? I think to a large extent, there is a realignment, and I think it mirrors what's happening nationally. I think the Republicans and Donald Trump won 85 to 90 percent of the counties. Now, represent, winning the counties doesn't mean winning uh, necessarily the popular vote, but it does, in terms of landmass, mean that, as you suggest in New York, vast areas are now red, and because as we were joking before, my party, the Democrats, have moved so far to the left. Increasingly, suburbanites and certainly rural voters have moved away, perhaps permanently, from the Democrats. Let's talk about that, Doug, because uh, that is still your home politically, the Democratic Party. And you and I have talked about this uh, many times before, but it bears repeating. Today's Democratic Party is not your father's or grandfather's Democratic Party. This is not the party of JFK or Bill Clinton, the president for whom you worked. It is, and you may disagree with this characterization, but this, to me, reading where it's going and where it's been for a while, is a neo-Marxist revolutionary party. And they dress it up pretty well. But that radicalism has turned off a lot of voters, including many in the traditional Democratic constituencies. Yeah, the way I would put it is that for the far left, the squad, redistribution and identity politics have come to substitute for capitalism with a safety net, 
and a sense that we need to ameliorate and eliminate racial and ethnic differences and give everyone a fair chance to get ahead versus special favors for people based on their group identity. That's how I'd put it. Yeah, and so it it is it is slowly, but it's it's significantly um, having the Democrats lose support from a lot of those core constituencies, like Latinos. Look at what happened in Florida, where Ron DeSantis and the Republicans flipped Miami-Dade County, a deep blue county, to red, and the Latino vote really drove that. Also, you have, maybe not in great numbers, but it's starting to tick it toward the Republicans among black voters, some women, some young voters, again, not in huge numbers like with Latinos, but but just enough, you're starting to see it, aren't you? Yeah, and, and what I would say is if the Republican Party can become inclusive and speak not just about the kind of issues Governor DeSantis so effectively advocated for both in his um, post-election speech and in his campaign, but talk about empowering minorities Uh, job training, uh, aid to small business. If the Republicans become more inclusive, they can theoretically become the majority party in this country because, as you suggest correctly, Monica, there is a huge opening because of what my party has done and the positions it's taken. Yeah. I mean, eventually, this could be existential for the Democrats, which is why I think you're seeing a lot of panic. Yeah, I agree. So what do the Democrats do next, Doug, will they will they regroup? Will they do some serious soul searching as you have been advocating for many years or will they go right back to a far left agenda? I noticed that Biden said last week, no, I'm not going to change anything. That's exactly what I was going to say. Biden made it clear it's steady as he goes. I think he will run for reelection. I think he will run on his record. I think he may pay a little lip service to bipartisanship. But bluntly, Monica, I don't see any chance that the Democrats do the kind of repositioning I believe is necessary. And I think most voters would be more comfortable with. If you look at people like Laura Kelly in Kansas, who was reelected as a governor, or Tim Ryan, who was a very effective Senate candidate in Ohio, it's clear they struck a responsive chord. And even people uh, like uh, Mark Kelly, the Democratic candidate for reelection, in, uh, in Arizona, ran away from the National Party as a means of trying to get himself reelected. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, the far left is where all of the energy and activism are, so very tough, tough to stop it on your side. And, and the Democrats aren't going to learn their lesson, the one you've been encouraging them for a long time to learn, because they don't want to. They're so far down the rabbit hole, and their grand project of transforming the country is so far down the track, they're not going to re- reverse now, are they? No, I don't think so. I think their takeaway is that they did about as well in the midterms as they could, and that this is a validation of the Biden presidency and Biden's approach. Now, you know, the the Senate sort of hangs in the balance here. um, And we we joked earlier that you were one of the last remaining moderate Democrats left. But I think about Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin might switch parties and become a Republican, or he's going to face a voter-enforced retirement when he's up for re-election in two years. First of all, what do you think he's going to do? 
you know, I think he wants to stay a Democrat, um, though the path seems to be clearer for him, I would agree, in terms of his position, re-election, and frankly, the, the worldview he has, given his take about uh, energy and coal uh, fracking, for him to become a Republican. So I don't, for a second, Monica, um, suggest that the hypothesis you're articulating uh, is unlikely to happen. I think it's a very real possibility. And if the Senate is knotted at 50-50 and Mitch McConnell goes to Joe Manchin and says, Joe, why not? It'll be pretty hard for him for the reasons you suggest uh, both reasons of principle and practicality, not to take that very serious. That would really be something. That would be a political earthquake if he were to do that. And of course, the Democrats would uh, just take a blowtorch to him. But so what? What does he care? If he wants to run for re-election in two years, he might have to do it. So, uh, Doug, where does uh, or how does centrism make a comeback in the Democratic Party. You are such an articulate spokesperson for the return of centrism in your party, but you're only one guy, and you're like the only one out there on the Democratic side even making this argument. So how do you do it? I I think you have to keep fighting, keep making the case of Democrats who've been successful as moderates, and keep talking about common sense, bipartisan policies, and also the other Thing that you and I've spent a lot of time talking about, Monica, which is that unless there is some degree of compromise and conciliation, the loser is America as a nation and the American people. And it's not that one side is right and the other side is wrong or vice versa. It's that for the American ideal, which we both agree uh, is the greatest experiment with democracy, free markets, the Judeo-Christian ethic, that human history has ever demonstrated, we have to make the case that unless we all get along and pursue common uh, approaches and common values, we will all lose. Mm. Well, it's a very powerful argument, but I'm curious as to who leads that charge, because it certainly won't be Joe Biden. He said he's not going to change anything. And like I said, all the energy and activism are on the radical left. So what what do you expect to happen with Joe Biden and, and when? Do you think that this is emboldened him, that he's actually going to run for re-election? Monica, I do. I think he will run for re-election. I think he made that clear at the press conference. I think most Democrats don't want him to run for re-election. Right. But his attitude is, look at the polls. I'm still ahead of Donald Trump. I'm still ahead of DeSantis. Why shouldn't I run? Very interesting, unless the left's power broker step in. And dementia is a progressive disease. As we all know, it gets worse every day, not better. So we're going to have to, that may be his position now, but we'll see in, in a couple of months. They also have the Kamala problem, right? She is an historically unpopular vice president. Are they going to run her? What's the situation I, there? My sense is she is waiting quietly, doing what she's asked. And is sort of, I, I call her the Kathy Hochul of national politics. If something <laughs> happens to Biden, she's prepared to step forward. If Biden doesn't run, she will announce her candidacy the next day. And in a Democratic primary, while she's historically unpopular, I completely agree, Monica, she will also be a candidate who will have strength with minorities and progressives and be difficult 
to deny the nomination. Who else can the Democrats look to? I mean, even if Biden decides that he's running again, he may face a primary challenge um, like Jimmy Carter uh, and so on. But uh, Gavin Newsom, Mrs. Clinton, who else is out there in the mix? Uh, There's Amy Klobuchar, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, Cory Booker. Um, That would be the, those are the names that come to my mind. Uh, interesting. Well, the the heavyweight in the possible mix, I think, is Mrs. Obama. And I think if she runs, she all bets are off. What's your sense of but what she I, might I, do? My sense is she could be elected and she would be elected, but I don't think she's going to run. I think the Obamas have decided that they like private life and they like earning very large sums of money. But I, I believe that. I also believe that notwithstanding the Democrats' success uh, in the midterms or relative success, the um, likelihood of a Republican president in 2024 is at least 50 percent, if not higher. Well, from your lips to God's ears, Doug, I say this as your friend and as a Republican. I hope you're right about this. This is going to be very, very interesting times, and I hope we can come to you and turn to you often as we go forward. Monica, it is always a great pleasure. Our dialogues are a special source of intellectual and personal pleasure, and I can tell you, uh, you've got a great audience. I hear from them every time I've been on your show, and they all are very enthusiastic about obviously me, and I appreciate that, but you in particular, and I can only say to your audience, you can't have a better host and advocate uh, and commentator than Monica Crowley. Oh, that's so kind of you, Doug. Thank you. Very, very touching. I'm honored uh, by your kind words. I really am. Thank you. Thank you so much. My dear friend, Doug Schoen, of course, political pollster and strategist extraordinaire, one of the last remaining moderate Democrats, so listen to him closely. And his latest book is called Unite or Die. Go get it. Doug, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Monica. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye. All right, guys, time now for the Monday email bag. Remember, our email address is Podcast at gmail.com, Podcast at gmail.com. Jay writes about this issue with regard to mail-in ballots. I'm in Colorado, and they mail to everyone, including the dead. Remember I put out a call to you guys saying, hey, are you getting mail-in ballots even if you don't ask for one, like with absentee balloting? Are you getting, well, in Colorado, obviously they do this. He said they mail to everyone, including the dead. Additionally, they mail ballots to illegals because ballots go off driver's licenses and they issue licenses to illegals. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jay. Yes. uh, There are a number of states, mostly blue states, obviously, that send mail-in ballots to everyone, including illegals, because of the driver's license issue. So the potential for fraud is everywhere. They're just, again, the difference between votes and ballots, they just flood the zone with ballots. And anybody can pick up a ballot, whether it's addressed to them or not, because, of course, no ID Uh, required. And they just fill it out. And then you've got uh, precinct captains, because again, they have an army. We don't. Unions, college kids, etc. They got armies out there that collect all these ballots, harvest them, and then push them into the system. Of course, they exploit all of this. 
and they've got the press covering for them so the stories of the fraud don't get out. So we have a lot of work to do, guys. I'm sorry to have to break it to you, but today is a new day and the work begins anew every single day. Keep in mind, every day, the left gets up and begins the work anew, and so must we, if we want to save our great country. So take a deep breath, center yourself, get a good night's rest, and we fight again tomorrow. And it's got to start with bouncing this GOP leadership. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Thanks so much for being here and for checking out our terrific sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Buck up! I will see you right back here on Wednesday with more post-election postmortem and also a fantastic conversation with the one and only James O'Keefe. Have a great start to your week. I will see you then. 